All right. Take your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever it is you're using. Go to Luke chapter 18. Sometimes as we engage other believers and other folks, we hear what their needs are. We kind of see where they're at. And, and in the end, we'll say, well, I'll pray for you. Right? You're in my thoughts and prayers. We'll pray about it for you. And then I often wonder, do we often actually pray about it? I had a friend many years ago, a pastor friend, that when someone would tell him, uh, Brother Wayne, I want you to pray for me, he would stop. And they would pray for a while sometimes. And it made some people uncomfortable because sometimes they were in Stater Brothers. Or sometimes they were someplace that, that prayer wasn't always the first thing that goes on. It's very important when somebody says, will you pray for me, that I just don't say, okay. It's very important that I say how, when, why, and let's pray. Let's take a minute. I mean, honestly, if somebody comes to you and they're troubled and they're struggling and they ask you to pray for them, is it so wrong at Stater Brothers? Have you ever seen anyone at Stater Brothers actually just stop and pray? It's kind of amazing. It makes me want to join in. I, I go, what are you guys praying about? I mean, I was shopping for some macaroni, but um, what you're doing looks better than that. Luke 18 is the parable that Jesus tells of a persistent widow. And he told them a parable, starting in verse 1, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared not God or respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but after a while he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he, will he find faith on earth? Right up front, Jesus tells us the meaning of this parable. Sometimes in parables, they scratch their, Jesus would tell them a parable, and the people listening would scratch their head and wonder what that means. Here he's talking to his disciples. And in particular, he doesn't have to guard his words or guard his his teachings with his disciples, he tells them right up front, this is about praying. And you need to pray. Believers ought to pray and not faint. What does faint mean? I pass out. I'm tired. I give up. I've been praying for a minute now and nothing's happened. Right? I've been praying about it and I'm still messed up. I've been praying about it and I'm still a sinner. I've been praying about it and she still doesn't like me. It's like pray and don't give up. This passage, this parable, number one, assumes that God's people are praying. It kind of has that assumption in it that we're doing it. And we're supposed to be in two kinds of correspondence with, with God in prayer. Constant correspondence. All right? The Bible tells us to take all of our thoughts captive before the Lord. Man, that's crazy, huh? Because I think some weird and twisted stuff sometimes. And, and I wonder, do I want to take that captive before the Lord? One of my prayers is to help my thoughts and dreams bring glory to God. 
things that I can't control. Sherry told me last night she had a bad dream. It's like, you can't control a bad dream, can you? Probably because of the Netflix we're watching. I, I don't know, or some book she's reading. Somebody, our grandson, who wasn't, isn't even born yet, was up in the air in a cage or something. And it's like, uh, that's a weird dream, right? You can't control that, can you? But can the Holy Spirit permeate our lives so much that even our dreams don't dishonor God? We're supposed to be in constant correspondence with God. Living a life like he's next to us, like he's with us. Do you ever take a road trip with a friend? And, and from here to Arkansas somewhere, you guys are going to talk about everything, huh? Eventually, by the time you get to Phoenix or Yuma or somewhere, you're really starting to talk well. You're starting to have a correspondence. And by the time you get to El Paso, you're telling each other the deep secrets of your lives. And by the time you get to Arkansas, that's your best friend. You've made so much because of that correspondence. And you're riding in a car. You're stuck together. Nobody's getting out at 70 miles an hour. You're going to sit there and talk to each other. It's one of Sherry and I's most uh, therapeutic marriage tools is to take a long drive. Sometimes she's been mad at She's so mad at me one time we got all the way to Medford. That's like a thousand miles before we finally, before we finally started talking. <laughs> That's a long ways to go to get to a communication. It's worth it, isn't it? Those of you that are in a relationship know that I drive a thousand miles for my wife to start talking to me again. Are we having that kind of communication with God? And then we have occasional correspondences. Sometimes we have to go to the Lord and it's just about an occasion. I'm in trouble. Somebody's in trouble. I'm going to have an opportunity to share. I, I need you right now, Lord. It's occasional correspondence. In 2006, when my mom passed away, we were going through some stuff of hers, and, and I found letters from her and my dad when my dad was in the military in Korea. Uh, and I wondered, I had these correspondence, and, and they were almost 60 years old. Letters from my mom and dad, back and forth. And I thought, wow, should I read this? And, and I kind of held them for a while. It was a stat. And, you know, you've seen it in movies and stuff. I actually found the movie prop of le letters from my mom and dad from when he was in, the, was in the Air Force in Korea. And I began to read them. And fortunately, there wasn't anything weird in my mom and dad's letter. <sighs> Praise the Lord for that. But, but there started to be a pattern that my mom was very newsy and would tell my dad everything that was happening. And she would write him about three times more than he did. And there's a reason for that. He was in a combat zone. He was doing military stuff in military places. And, and, but his letters would come back and it would say how he was feeling. And how he, they were, it's funny, they were in Fresno. Have you ever been to Fresno? He missed Fresno. Korea was so bad that he missed Fresno. <laughs> Go figure, huh? <laughs> Those letters and that correspondence between my mom and dad were kind of like maybe a picture of us with the Lord. It is kind of different-sided. He, he tells me in his word different things than I tell him from my heart. But it is that correspondence that starts to open that relationship. So what should we be praying for? It, listen to me. It doesn't matter how many times you ask, you're not getting the Porsche. I have heard folks pray for race cars, Porsches, a private jet. Um, those are, if you can afford a private jet, you should just go get one. It really isn't a prayer request. 
If you can afford a Porsche, you should go drive one and let me borrow it sometimes. <laughs> that would be good. What are we praying for? It's not usually stuff. I, I mean, I've, I've had folks pray for the rent. All right, I can't make rent this month. We need to pray. That's a real problem, isn't it? I don't know that praying for rent is going to establish a money tree in your living room that you can pick it from and pay your rent. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I do think that God can intervene any way he chooses to. And the truth is, is if you're spending more money than you make and you can't pay your rent, you need to curb your behavior. Amen? However, if you've had a loss, if there's a deficit in your life and you can't pay your rent, praying about it is where you go. Because you may have a brother and sister in Christ that the Lord's laid on their heart to pay somebody's rent this month. And it's yours. That's how it works. However, we can't pray about stuff. We need to pray about consistency and perseverance in our walk. That's my number one thing that we should be praying about. It's consistency in my walk. That I don't stumble every day. That I have a walk with God that honors him and brings me closer to Christ every day. My walk in this world needs to be more like Christ. And the perseverance, not to give up. Sometimes I just give up. It's hard being a Christian. We need to pray for consistency in our walk. We need to pray for spiritual mercies. Eyes for those in need. We see all around us, everywhere we go, so many folks in need. And it's hard to, de it's hard to determine sometimes, who should I minister to? Sometimes I'll go down an off-ramp and I know the Holy Spirit is prompting me to give that guy five bucks. Say, Pastor Doug, you're crazy. You know, I don't know what he's going to spend it on. But if I feel the Holy Spirit urging me to give to that brother, he might actually be hungry. I'd rather, you know how it is when you go to McDonald's and you get the twofer, the two biscuits, the two sausage with muffins for five bucks? All right, here's the truth of that McDonald's thing. I only need one of them. But they give you two. What a great thing to share with somebody. Because if, he's, if his sign's correct and he's hungry, he'll want the sausage and McMuffin as much as I did, right? I don't know what their need is, but if the Holy Spirit prompts me, I need to give. However, we need to have eyes of discernment. Because not everyone that's asking doesn't have the ability to go find a job. Or to go do something profitable to society. We need eyes for those who are in need. We need to have words for those that are in distress. Every time I get called to do a hospital or a funeral or a, a time of great need, I always pray on my way there. Lord, give me uh, the words that you would have me to say that will be a comfort and a courage to these folks. Lord, help me to have words from you that are smarter than me. That's my biggest prayer usually because I always feel like the dumbest guy in the room. All right, Lord, help me have words that are great, that will comfort and encourage these folks and be from you. Words for those in distress and help for those that are without. Oftentimes we encounter people that really are without. How are we supposed to help them? And those prayers as we ask the Lord, Lord, help me to go through and see what you want me to see, say what you want me to say, and do what you want me to do that honors you and spiritual mercies and spiritual victories over spiritual enemies. I need to pray over my lusts. Lusts are anything that you want that you shouldn't probably have. 
Lust doesn't have to be sexual. However, lust can be anything that's attracting you away from something else that's important. Help me with my lust and my corruptions. Good Lord, I can be so corrupt. I can think things. And mostly it's in my thought. I don't do things necessarily that are corrupt. But, buddy, I'm thinking about it, right? It's like, Lord Jesus, help me in those corruptions. Deliverance from those that persecute me and the church. He said, back to our text, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Greg, give me justice against my adversary. Jesus uses the example of a corrupt judge. We know that our God is not a corrupt judge. He's the exact opposite of that, but he gives an example of an honest cause that succeeds before an unjust judge. There's parallels here, probably to 2023. Uh, The judge didn't fear God. He did not respect humans. He was not afraid of the wrath of God. He wasn't concerned about being ousted with man. He just didn't care. So many times we encounter people who just don't care about the things of God. They just don't care that you're a Christian. The world doesn't seem like it cares anymore, does it? But I want to encourage you that in Ecclesiastes we find that God still cares. God still cares about us. He still cares about our need. In Ecclesiastes, the, the, the psalmist says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time and a matter for everything. God still cares God still hears our cries. There's a reason to pray because God still cares. And the widow kept coming, demanding justice against her adversary. She was wearing him out. She was going to his home. She was following him to work. She's at the, at the courtroom. She was everywhere. This lady wouldn't give up. It's like she, this was her job. She had nothing else. It wasn't that she didn't have anything else to do. She had no other hope. This adversary was persecuting her, and it was going to be the end of her. We have to go back into first century ideals and realize that this widow had nobody else. She had no family. She had no kin. She didn't have a lawyer. She was on her own. And the person who was persecuting her was going to ruin her and take whatever it was that she had left. She was in trouble, and she was coming to the widow. She had no husband, no children, no standing in the community. I guess the parallel that we can draw between the church and and this in 2023 is that disciples of Christ seem to have no one else but other disciples of Christ. Seems like the world is against Jesus. This is not a new thing, by the way. We think 2023 is the worst it's ever been. It's like the church has always battled against the world. The world has never cared about what the church is doing. They've never cared about Jesus. They only care about themselves. Secular organizations and government are unconcerned about the wrath of God, right? I mean, we live in California. Do you think the government is concerned about the wrath of God? Doesn't appear to be so, does it? Your lack of participation in their endeavors doesn't seem to matter. Well, I just won't shop there anymore. I won't go there anymore. Uh, That's a great thing. But uh, your protests really don't seem to go noticed. Many years ago, a couple of decades ago, the 
Southern Baptist Convention decided we were going to boycott Disney. And for a decade, we boycotted Disney. And it came out, it was big press releases and, and every, it was big talk and everything. And you know how Disney responded to it? Not a word. Do you know that over 100,000 people a day go to Disney? Us not going to Disney didn't seem to affect Disney. They didn't care. I don't think that our protests are actually effective. I'm saying if you... It's funny because last year at the convention in Anaheim, somebody brought up the idea that we should do that again. And it's like, oh, let's not do that again. I really like Disneyland. It's fun to go there. And the next day in the paper was the newly elected president of the SBC with a wizard hat on with his kids at Disneyland. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess that's how we're going now. Good. That's good because uh, feudal protests really... Um, would be more accomplished through prayer, perhaps. Jesus uses this story to encourage God's people to pray with urgency. We need to pray now about what is troubling us. We need to pray now about what is wrong with, with the world and how God can intervene. We need to pray with faith. I think sometimes we pray and it's words. If we pray in faith, believing, it accomplishes much. We need to pray with fervency again and again and again because God is a completely different kind of judge. He is fair to his children. He loves to hear from us. He knows who has wronged us. So how then shall we pray? Pastor, are you going to give us anything we can take home with you? I'm going to give you 10 things that you can take home with you. The Apostle Paul, and by the way, all of this is going to be a ton of slides. If you're taking notes, I want you to know you can just email me and I'll send you this. All right, because there's about 40 verses in here that you're going to want to know. And I'm not reading them all because we'd be here till 2. All right, it's Father's Day. I want to have the barbecue going earlier than that. So if you are interested... And you should be interested in this. I want you to send me an email. Put it on a comment card. Put it in the offering when the offering goes around. Send me the text, Pastor Doug. Sign it and put your email address on there. If you don't have email, call the church. Ask Erica to send it to you in a mail. I'll make sure she has copies, okay? Any way that you can get it. You're going to want this. The Apostle Paul taught us clearly how to pray about stuff. In fact, 10 things in the New Testament comes out that the Apostle Paul prayed for us. Number one, the Apostle Paul thanked God for each one of his people. In fact, there's 12, nine passages where the Apostle Paul specifically thanked God for us, for everyone. There's a real change in the way that I treat you, act, for, act you, love you, care for you if I'm praying Lord, thank you. Thank you for John. Thank you so much for the ministry that he has. Thank you for Adam. Thank you for Nate. Thank you for James. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you by name. The Apostle Paul called them by name and said, thank you for them. I'm so blessed to know them. The Apostle Paul thanked God for each one of his people. If we start praying down our friends list, I don't know if you have a friends list or not, all right, go to Facebook. You've got a friends list of probably 644. That's a lot of praying, huh? Maybe I need to edit that list. Pray for each other and thank God for him. Number two, the Apostle Paul prayed for their wisdom 
and knowledge. Listen, most people that come to me that are asking me for prayer help need wisdom or knowledge. All right, they need to know what to do next. They need to, do, they need to know what to do about what they did last. Wisdom and knowledge is how we should pray for each other. And scripture gives us a clear path of how to pray for each other. So what are you saying, Pastor Doug? I'm saying go to the scripture and pray that about that person. It's God's word. I promise you that God loves to hear nothing more than his word prayed back to him. Number three, pray for those to be full of hope. The Apostle Paul prayed they'd be full of hope. You know, this is really where we come to a delineation between Christians and non-Christians. What is our hope in? If we go to the world, exactly. If we go to the world, their hope is in finances, in government, in real estate, in structure, in jobs. Their hope is in everything that is corrupting. But our hope is in Christ Jesus. And the Apostle Paul prayed that we'd be reminded of that. That our hope is not in a burning building. Our hope is in the creator of the universe. Paul prayed, number four, that they would live in peace and unity. Take your Bibles. I, I'll, show you, well, I'll give you an example of this. All right? Take your Bibles or your phones or whatever you're using. Go to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. I'll give you just a second. Verses 5 and 6. We'll include verse 13 in this also because it talks about hope. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'll just read you a little bit of this. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength. This is a prayer. Lord, help me when I'm strong to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. This is a good prayer, right? Does this sound like something we should be praying? Let each of us please his neighbor for what is good, to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fall upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement the scriptures might have new hope. Verse 5, now may God, this is his prayer, now may God who gives, pers- who gives the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, let me start over again. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one accord, uh, with one another, according to Christ Jesus, that with one, one, with one accord you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you take those verses and pray them and insert your friend's name in there, you're praying scripture about them back to God. I promise you there's no more effective way to pray for somebody than to pray scripture over them. It's God's word. Sometimes when I pray, I don't know what to say. I had a friend who, who uh, was a Buddhist and, and we're good friends from high school. And after how many years since high school? Like a lot. Um, he, he said that he meditates two hours a day. And I just went... Two hours a day? Dang, dude, that's a long time. How'd you get to two hours a day that you can meditate? He said, one second at a time. Over 40 years, I've gotten there. I said, man, I start praying and in five seconds I'm distracted. Do you ever start to pray? 
And, and you go to a place and you're praying and, and you think about, I wonder if I fed the cat. Did I turn the lights off in the bathroom? I wonder what Joe's doing right now. Right? We get distracted and you start to pray and your mind wanders. Right? And, and it's frustrating because, wait a minute, I was praying just a second ago. Well, to start with, those casual conversations are okay to have with the Lord. Lord, I wonder if I shut the gas off. Maybe I should go back and check. It is not that I didn't feed the cat. I forgot to shut the gas off. Maybe I should go back and check. It's okay to have casual conversations with God. But sometimes we need to get down to the nitty-gritty to where I actually pray for somebody and not be distracted. And the best way that I could pray for them is to pray Scripture over them. Number five, Paul prayed that they would be strengthened with all spiritual power. What is spiritual power? Joy. That is real spiritual power when I realize that my joy comes from Jesus Christ and circumstances don't determine my joy. I don't always get to be happy. I'm not promised to be happy. I promise you, the Apostle Paul, whipped, chained, and in stocks, wasn't happy about it, but they were singing hymns of praise and joy that caused the jailers to go, those guys seem like they're happy about this situation. They weren't happy that they got beat. They weren't happy that they were in the stocks. But they had joy that they were allowed to suffer for Jesus, and it was a blessing to them. And we have an opportunity to have spiritual power, and that is in joy, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. Number six, Paul prayed that they would learn to abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide? To dwell, be home, my abode, my humble abode, my home, that we would be at home with Christ. We are not strangers in a foreign land. We are led by Christ. And where we are, whatever we're with him, wherever we are, we are at home. Home is with Christ. Home is not a structure that I have built. That's a house. And it feels like home because my family lives there. But it too can burn down and will be destroyed. But when I abide in Christ, I am dwelling in a place that is permanent. And I take a great deal of security in that. Paul prayed that they would abide in Christ. Number seven, Paul prayed that they would grow in their love for others. It's hard sometimes, loving others. You pick your ones that you love, and then there's everybody else. Right? But when it comes to believers, and believers in Christ, we need to understand that we're supposed to have love one for another, no matter what. Doesn't mean you have to be besties. All right? You, of course, have your besties and your closest friends. But the truth is, is that I need to demonstrate love for you. What would that be like? We, we have folks that have known. You know, it's, it's phenomenal when someone you know, when a brother or sister in Christ that you've known for 30 years does something phenomenal for you. That's amazing. You've known that person for 30 years. You know they love Jesus. They know you have a need and they meet that need and that's amazing. It's 30 years. But you know what's really amazing is when a brother or sister in Christ that's known you for 30 minutes is willing to do the same thing. That's love. I know you love Jesus and I don't really know you, but we have a kind. You're my brother or sister in Christ. Even though I just met you, I'll give you part of my life. The Bible says there's no greater love than someone who lays down their life for another. That doesn't mean dying. It could mean, but it probably doesn't mean that because if I give you a day of my life, that is laying down my life for you. I could give you $1,000 and it's easier than to give you a day of my life. 
because I can get the grand back. But that day I spent serving you is gone. It's sacrificed for you. No greater love. And brothers and sisters in Christ have this uncanny ability, desire, this need to build into somebody else because it's given to us by the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to love one another. Where were we, Jonathan? Seven? Growing their love for others. Number eight. Paul prayed for their righteousness and purity. This is one I pray for myself, for my sin, because my sin sucks. I'm tired of it. I hate it. It doesn't seem like it goes away. Why can't I have, the Apostle Paul said, I don't do the things I know I should do, and I do the things that I do not want to. This is Apostle Paul. How come I can't quit sinning? The Apostle Paul prayed three times for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. I've heard people say, well, I think that thorn in his flesh was kidney problems. Or maybe he had bad knees. Or it could have been like he, was, he had some eyesight. Maybe he needed glasses. You know what? The Apostle Paul was whipped, chained, beaten with rods, beaten with cannon nine tails, drowned, stoned, thrown in a hole, tread water for a day and a half, shipwrecked. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that complains about a bad knee. Does he? Everything that could happen to this guy happened to this guy, and he didn't quit. Do you think when he said three times, Lord, remove this thorn of my flesh from me, he was talking about his eyesight? I don't think so. I think, he was ta- I think personally he was talking about his sin of his pride. He wrestled with that. Lord, remove this from me. Take this away from me. And God told him, I'm leaving that because that's what keeps you humble. If you were so good that you didn't even have any sin, then you'd really have a pride problem, wouldn't you, Paul? Pray for my righteousness and purity, that I can have victory over my sin, that I can have real, a real walk with God that isn't determined by what I wish I hadn't done, but how I'm glad I honored God today. And these verses are ways that you can pray this for yourself and your friends that are struggling. It's very... It's very Often, that someone comes to me and they're concerned about a child. Pastor Doug, I have a 30-year-old, 20-year-old, 40-year-old child that has walked away from God. He's incarcerated. He's on the street. He's doing something. It's like, will you pray for him? How do we pray for him or her? How do we pray for that? It's right here. Pray that for them. Pray for their righteousness in Philippians and Colossians and Corinthians and Thessalonians. Paul taught them all how to pray for themselves and for people that needed to repent and come back to God. Paul prayed, number nine, that they would overflow with praise and thanks to God. This is part of our experience in praying. There's, there's all kinds of um, acronyms and things that you can pray. Cats, acts, tax. All right, acts, A-C-T-S, is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. All right, adoration is praise for God. When we begin to pray, I adore you. Adoration is I adore you. God, you are so great. You're magnificent. I praise you in the highest. I praise you with my life. I, Father, there's no one like you. Thank you for choosing me. We praise him. There's scripture that we can pray back to God that thanks him and, and causes us to adore him. Colossians. Remember, I was in Colossians. Sherry and I got to verse five this week. Yay, five? Sort of. Sherry's a verse ahead of me, but we're trying to memorize Colossians. I won't make a spectacle of myself again and try and quote what I'm learning. But Colossians 1 is Paul basically 
Sherry said this week, he's so wordy. My wife is an editor. She's a very good editor. And if it was, if it was up to Sherry, she would edit the New Testament and it'd be the size of a Gideon Bible. Um, because she, and I go, you're actually wordsmithing the Apostle Paul, aren't you? She goes, well, he's so wordy. The first chapter of Colossians is a sentence. The sentence is his prayer for the Colossians. Read it. It's like, it's this long. I know. One sentence. Read it and pray it for your people that are wrestling, that are struggling. Read it and praise him. Praise him in the highest. Number 10. Paul prayed for opportunities to minister to them. Paul said, pray for me that when I need to speak, the words will be there. You pray for me. The Apostle Paul said, pray for each other in a times to minister. If you ever had knew that you should share the gospel with somebody and you were about ready and you're going to share Christ with them and witness to them just a little bit and you get this little tingle and you know that you're about ready to share the gospel and you know that, wow, this person's going to ask me the right question. They're going to ask me about Jesus and I'm going to tell them, you better be praying. It's funny how the only... <laughs> That I can actually pray and talk to somebody at the same time and make sense of both. Isn't that weird? Because I can't do that with anything else. But I can pray when somebody's talking to me and, Lord Jesus, I have an opportunity to share the gospel with this person. Please don't let me balk. Please don't let me strike out. Lord, for your glory, I need to pray for opportunities to minister. And 1 Thessalonians is a prayer that Paul prays over them to have mercy in ministry. So these 10 things, I'd love to send them to you. In 2023, Satan wants to disguise all kinds of weird stuff into a new way to pray. There's new things. There's different things that you can try. Let me tell you, scripture doesn't change. Satan's desire is to corrupt everything we do and especially prayer. Especially prayer. There's a new movement called contemplative prayer. There's movies and, and seminars about it where you go into your closet and you, drag, you clear your mind and you think about nothing and you wait for something to come and guide you to hear God's voice so that you'll know what to do. Satanic. Let me assure you that filling, emptying your mind and waiting for nothing it's not how God created you to be. God intended you to fill your mind with his word. Fill your mind with his word over and over and over again until it's full and running out. You will hear God's voice through the word of God. The word of God is what? His voice. It's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you through your heart and through your head. I, I know that we hear things in our head. Am I the only one that's talking to myself in my head? We all hear things in your head, don't you? The Holy Spirit does have the way to influence your heart into your mind, but it'll be by scripture. If somebody comes to you, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if somebody comes and says, God told me to do this or that, and you can't find that in scripture, God didn't tell him to do that. God will not tell you anything to do that isn't already in scripture because he's given you his word. You don't need a word to know whether or not to buy a house. All right, I was, uh, Sherry and I many years ago were involved in kind of loosely with the church and it had a prophet. 
and the prophet prophesied to somebody, you'll have a four-bedroom house with a spiral staircase. And I went home and told Sherry, I go, they don't need a prophet for that. They just need a good realtor. Right? If you're going to prophesy in my life, prophesy to me that your sin is keeping you from being all you can be. Prophesy that hanging out at the bar is not being a good father on Father's Day. Prophesy truth to me from the Word of God. But if you need a four-bedroom house with a spiral staircase, just call a realtor. Don't need a prophet. As it turned out, a year later, they bought the house, and they couldn't afford it, and they lost the house. And who do you think they blamed the realtor? They blamed God. Well, God gave us a house that we couldn't afford. It's like, God gave you common sense to buy a house that you can't afford, not just what you want. You don't hear from God. We do, we do, it is, we are able to hear from the Lord, but it'll never contradict scripture. It always needs to complement scripture. Remember, fill your mind with God's word. There's no angelic guide that's going to come and guide you to the next thing. I promise you, angels are fighting spiritual warfare. Angels are not destined to guide you to what's next in your life. We walk by faith. And that faith is by the word of God. If you're not spending time in God's word, I don't know why you don't know where to go. God's word is the direction to our life. Fill your mind with God's word. The widow was alone in her petition. She's all alone. And she got her way. Millions of us should be praying. Instead of protesting sometimes. You have a First Amendment right to go and protest anything the government uh, uh, authenticates. You have a right to peacefully protest. I see Christians going to protest all the time with signs and mega horns and, and stuff, and you have a right to do that. I'm an American. I'm a civil libertarian. I love our First Amendment right. The same First Amendment that gives you the right to protest also gives us the right to freedom of religion. I love that, that we can study God's word and not be interfered with. But sometimes, rather than protest, maybe we should go and pray. What would it be like if 10 people went to the abortion clinic and just prayed instead of carrying signs and megaphones. Which is more powerful, prayer or protest? Are you sure? Because protest gets on the news. If we just go there and pray, ABC don't care. Right? Which is more powerful? I think so. But yet we think like protest because protest is something that we do. Prayer is something we're asking God to do. You see, prayer is the most definite example of faith that we have in our Christian walk. And I'll leave you with this. If I come and cut your grass and do it in the name of the Lord, you get your grass cut. If I give you money and do it in the name of the Lord, you get your bills paid. If I serve you or you serve me and we do that in the name of the Lord, something big happens. But when I pray... For you, I'm counting on God to come through because you see, if God isn't real, then praying is the biggest waste of time that we ever have experienced. It's the biggest waste of time. But our faith said God is real and I'm going to pray about it because my prayer won't pay your bills. My prayer won't get your yard cut. My prayer won't save your marriage or will it? Because God is able to meet all of your needs richly and abundantly. 
And it's not because I pray, it's because we pray together and live in that moment that we pray by faith. Because you see, I believe that God's real. And I believe he hears our prayer. And I believe that we should go through life differently knowing how to pray. And praying scripture is a great tool for me because I don't need to know what to say. It's already there. All I need to do is just pray it for you. And recapping, in closing, let's pray about this this week. Love and unity between the brethren. Go into the scripture. It's in the text. It's number six. Go in there and find this and pray for love and unity between the brethren. We need this in 23 more than anything else. Understanding God's word for our lives. Let's pray about this. It is hard sometimes to read God's word and know how that applies to me, but the Holy Spirit is able to interpret that right to you. When you read God's word, you know how it applies to you. Let's pray for loved ones to come to Christ. We have family, I'm sure all of you do, that need to come to Christ. They need to give their life to the Lord. They need that purpose and direction that God gives. Let's pray for that strength to live pure and holy before our God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the purity of your word. Lord, thank you for speaking to us for you through your word. And Lord, thank you for allowing us to speak back to you through your word. Lord, I ask that you would give us, like the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, you have taught us to pray. Help us to read and learn that lesson in Christ.